This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hello, thanks for joining us here on Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford, and today I get to have Steve Mazuka, or the Maz, as I like to call him, uh, co-hosting with me. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Great, great. Great to be here, Carolyn. Thanks. It's always fun to have a conversation with you, Steve. The, the hard part's going to be getting you to be quiet so we can get our guest, Tracy Bannon, who right. is Senior Principal, Software Architect, and DevOps Strategic Advisor at MITRE, as well as an ambassador for the DevOps Institute. So, we're, Tracy, we may have to just like be like... Zzz. Stop, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have a mute button? That's the question. Oh, um, so. <laughs> good point. I can just push that. Yes, absolutely. So welcome, Tracy. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here today. It's always fun to have these conversations. I, I totally agree. And honestly, I would like to start off with, okay, for our listeners that don't go look at, at this episode on YouTube, I'm looking at you. You're like, I'm going to try to be PC here. You are a striking woman with pink hair and you're in development, which makes you, in my mind, you're kind of a unicorn. I would really love to hear your story. Well, I'll back. I'll start with the pink hair and go backwards from there. So I've had little bits of color in my hair for years. My mom was an art teacher. My dad's more on the math and the sciences side of it. So I kind of have that left brain, right brain need to express myself. Um, And over the probably last two or three years, as I've been doing more and more remote work, I was just having more and more fun with the pink uh, and decided that, hey, it's the pandemic. Let's stretch things a little bit more. Um, And I'm just loving it. So that's, that's a little bit about that piece of it. But as for Me being a a woman in technology, um, I actually like to come at it in reverse and say that I'm a real technologist and not say I'm a woman technologist. It matters, but it doesn't matter. What's important to me is I've always been so interested in tech. Someone asked me, how did you, when was the first time you realized that you liked computers, that you were into computers? And it was actually, I can remember, and it's a long story, but I'll make it very short. I can remember building a computer out of a box and cutting and putting uh, mag tapes on the outside. Yes, I just told you how old I was. Um, And arguing with my brother on who got to sit inside it and be the brains. Um, So I remember being real and I couldn't read yet. So I remember that very vividly. So it goes, it goes a long ways back. But were you the Um, brains? Did you end up being the brains? I did. I did win. Yes, I did. I happened to be a little bit bigger than him, even though he's two years older. I happened to (laughs) to have the weight advantage. Nice. So, so, but um, you know, as for being a a, a woman developed, I've always been in tech. I I never thought anything about um, the makeup of the team. Uh, I think because I always tagged around with my older brother and his buddies. I just considered myself one of the guys, one of the gang. I guess would be a better way to put it. Um, I realized probably about midway through my career that there was a little bit of uniqueness to it because as I would look around the room, I would be the only woman on the team. Now, occasionally there would be fantastic women involved more on the database side of things 
who had grown into that. Very few from a development perspective. Um, we did see some spikes in industry, right? We saw that, but we're seeing that decline recently. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but across my career, uh, I, I tend to come at it that I'm a technologist. If you need to give me an adjective, make it real instead of woman. Um, so yeah, but that, that's a little bit about me. Um, what else would you like to know though, Carolyn? Well, first of all, I love that you want to take the emphasis off woman because I 100% agree um, that you're a technologist, you're a developer, and you happen to be a woman. Mm -hmm. And like I said, like, well, like you said, you're often the only woman in the room. I'm often the only woman in the room, and it will be a room of many, many people. So I, I, but I do love that you know, you've always just thought of yourself this way. So did you, um, what was your first development? Well, what was your first job actually? Oh gosh. Um, first, first paying job was actually a lifeguard, but we won't go that far back. Okay. If we go, if we, if we go forward, um, uh, I was, uh, worked throughout college in different, uh, corporate settings, always related to technology. Uh, when I graduated, I actually was independent before anybody was doing anything independent. Uh, and then, uh, happened my way into the engineering department at AccuWeather. Uh, and my husband and I were already married and he was in operations. So you can tell there was probably a little bit of a, Hey, take a look at this resume, um, mm -hmm. that helped get me in the door in a very heavy, uh, popular, heavily male populated uh, um, tech group. And so, yeah, we were both within AccuWeather. That's actually uh, kind of a segue to a fun story. He's in operations, I'm in engineering. You could actually say that we're the original DevOps because we've been married for a couple decades now before we said DevOps. So something would happen with engineering and they would call, right? They, were, they would call because there was a production problem. They would call him. And he would realize that we had talked about something that week, right? Dinner time chatter. And he'd say, hey, didn't you guys roll out a change to XYZ? I say, oh, yeah, yeah. Can you open up, you know, a window? It wasn't a browser at that point. Can you open up a window? Let's take a look. We need to look at this queue or this record or this log. And we would end up debugging things together. <laughs> um, and they started to no longer just call and ask for him. They would call the Bannon house because they would get both of us to solve a problem. And it was, it was just really cool, but that showed me how important it was that I was writing software that could be operated, could be managed, could be maintained, could be debugged. It also taught him how important it was to give me access. I didn't have to have right access, but I needed to be able to check the cues. I needed to be able to look at these different things. And that kind of started, started me having that um, fraternizing with ops, <laughs> I guess you could say. Uh, and I've always, I've always been an advocate of having ops at the table, even before, well before we coined that, that wonky phrase, DevOps. So a little, when little bit we... of background. When do we start coming out with that? Is that Gene Kim? Is he famous for that? Or is that even before Gene Kim as far as when we started coming out with that? It was before Gene, but I cannot, I cannot remember the fellow's name offhand. I'd have to Google it. Um, it, it strikes me that it's uh, Patrick something. Um, but he coined it. It wasn't that long ago, maybe in 2011, 2012, somewhere in that. He made a comment about it. Uh, and it really resonated with folks. Gene was brilliant to realize that it's a it's a true and a valuable story. 
Uh, and he, he started the, the, you know, really to, to table pound and get the message out and started this, I'll call it an evolution. I hate the revolution thing, but he started us evolving and thinking about it. So yeah, it's certainly, it's come, certainly come a long way. And you and I, Tracy, obviously have, have, have done a lot of work together over the years and, mm-hmm. and a couple different iterations across government. So I've only known you supporting government, but I know you did some other things before. So how long have you supported federal government? Because that's I don't actually know that story. Oh, uh, let's see, federal 2015. So not not that long, not a whole, not an entire career focused on federal government, but I was working across state governments uh, starting in 1999. <laughs> Is it really different? Is it really, really different to be state versus federal? Um, there are parallels and there are differences. Um, in the federal government, we have a mandate on citizenship. You don't have the same mandates uh, for a state level um, uh, data center. I can have foreign nationals. I can have different mm-hmm. types of folks coming in with different types of visas to be able to support that. And that's mm-hmm. starting to grow and evolve and change. Um, the policies are much stricter at the federal level and, and the size. Some of the biggest states, I would say, are similar to some of the smallest federal agencies. But think about the economies of scale. It's just that much bigger um, at the federal level. Uh, in defense, not a whole lot of defense at the state level, right? Right. And, and I would say that that's probably the most interesting different mission that I've been involved with, right? Being involved on the public sector side of the government, the civilian side of the federal government. Um, that's where actually where Steve and I got to know each other was with the IRS and treasury and around that side of it. But changing the focus um, more into defense has been very humbling uh, just because of the sheer complexity. Uh, think about NATO mm. with 30 different nations involved in technical decisions and discussions uh, and the complexities that come with that, just mind-boggling, just mind-boggling. Well, I just think of communication alone, Mm -hmm. just being Mm -hmm. able to communicate across all those different groups. Mm -hmm. It breaks my head. Yes. Um, Can you think of any use cases between state government, federal government, vice versa, that you think one should a best practice that one should pick up from the other? Oh, gosh. Um, Leading practices abound across both of them. I mean, whether it is with respect to DevOps, whether it's with respect to leveraging um, AI and ML to improve, I think one of the the things that I'm seeing in both places, I experienced this first with the state of Colorado, and that was embracing cloud. Uh, And Mm -hmm. this was multiple years ago. Uh, And they looked at it, uh, and this is one particular agency, and they said, you know, in order for us to be secure enough, we actually need to go to the cloud. Now, that seems to be opposite of what people think about right now. Like, oh, no, we don't want to go to the cloud. That could be a breach. But they looked at it from an economics perspective and said, for us to have the same number of professionals with the same level of training, with the same SLAs, with the same contractual obligation to keep us safe, would cost us this many, 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 many millions, hundreds of millions, where if I have that through my contract with a provider like Salesforce or ServiceNow or AWS or Google, any of them, I have that out of the box. I have that as part, for the most part, I have that as a part of the, uh, the opportunity. I think that's one thing that I saw the states do a little bit before the federal government. Um, I would say the federal government is tighter in its cyber practice. Absolutely. Tighter mm-hmm. in its cyber practice. So 
but there's just like any, it's like any, any technology. It's not about the tech. It's about how we apply it. It's about how we go about the problem solving. We do a lot of things in the commercial space. I did a lot of commercial work uh, and the commercial is a little less fettered, right? They're not as tethered to Mm -hmm. what the policies and the bureaucracy can be. Um, Federal bureaucracy is a little more impacted by the administration changes. Uh, There's a, trying to think what the acronym was the other day, somebody was joking with me. Instead of meantime to recover MTTR as a DevOps, uh, it was uh, meantime to command change. I think it's MTTC (laughs) (laughs) or MTCC because you could figure out how much disruption was going to happen. And that's something very different. The states have much more, I believe, continuity with their uh, technology leadership in specific than I see in the federal space. Um, And I'm not sure, defense definitely because of that uh, time, you know, you do rotations, you may not be there for, you may be there for six months, a year, two years. You see it more in this, less in the civilian side, less frequently, but still the federal is much more, uh, much more changeover than I see at the state level. Yeah. And the defense, Maz, that's your world. I mean, I could see a little bit of two, two things with that, that command change, fresh eyes means fresh ideas. And also just, it feels like it could be a huge setback Mm -hmm. as is Mm -hmm. that what, I mean, what do you think the, the, this, the other challenge with, um, with DOD, right. That we run into is, is it's everything is about the network and security because it's not, you know, everybody in commercial and everyone in civilian, not all of those places, but the vast majority of civilian, right? We're using the public internet. We're using everything that's out there. So they have, mm-hmm. ac- they have access to everything that it is commercially sound. In defense, it starts with we don't have ac- what we don't have access to. So you start with what you don't have access to, and you got to build off from there. So the problems are obviously intr- incrementally different, but the problems also, we well, we can't take advantage of a lot of the things that we can. So we have right. to constantly fight that battle on both. And as technology advisors, like both you and I are, we have to go in there with that understanding that, hey, we're talking about solutions and products and and technologies that sometimes you can't utilize all of the capabilities. So can we utilize enough to actually make a difference in your mission, Um, even beyond the fact that the kernels are going to be rotating in and out, correct? Right. um, It's interesting. There's always an opportunity for, for those fresh eyes to come in and infuse a lot of new energy and thought. But in a, depending on how large a program is, it takes them maybe a year to 18 months to really hit their stride. So you're hitting your stride right as you and, and get it. And so there's a lot of churn that can happen during that time. So sometimes you'll see that folks will entrench themselves like, oh, no, there's a change of leadership coming. I'm going to stay the course. So there, while there's a, a leader that's talking about this amazing different types of, of infusing of innovation, those in the trenches are saying, okay, I'm going to stay the course until we figure out how this solidifies or how it plays out uh, a little bit more. So it causes a little bit of tension back and mm-hmm. forth. But Steve, you bring up a really good point. If I think about DevOps in specific. In the uh, in, on the defense side, I jokingly say that it's it, it, you, they like the term DevSecOps. We'll come back yeah. to that, but it's really DevSec. Pause. Wait, there are some other things going on. 
than SecOps. So that idea that we see of that, uh, the infinity loop, right, the figure eight, for there to be constant and continual feedback from the warfighter, from the constituency to the developer, it's, it's more difficult. It is much more difficult because there are different groups that are in charge of it. And I don't mean a guy in the other room is in charge of operations versus me here in charge of dev. I mean, they may be con- contractually a different part. Um, they may be totally a different part of the, the service. Um, right? Think about deploying onto a naval vessel. Ops there is a lot different than ops that would be CONUS, right? Continental U.S. sitting right beside me. So it does have some pretty different challenges and, and not insurmountable. There's so much goodness that we should be looking at North Star, to Steve's point, What's happening in commercial? And then what's my problem? What's the actual thing I'm trying to do? And then looking at commercial and saying, what applies here? What could be tailored? What could be improved and brought in? As opposed to, I'm going to go and do, I'm going to go do what they did over here. Uh, I always use the example, and it's trite at this point because so many people have heard it, but we're not just going to Netflix this, right? It's not just 50 releases a day. If I'm putting software onto a tank, If I'm putting it onto a jet, I'm not going to release 50 times a day. I may release a couple of times a week, but not 50 times a day. Uh, And so there's economies of scale and things to learn with that. And I want to go back to that feedback loop that you talked about. Have you seen an agency that does that really well or a group? We don't even have to name names because just what you said, like putting those software releases onto a tank where we're talking about lives on the line, Mm -hmm. um, you need the feedback from the guys operating it, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. have you you been in situations where that's just like really smooth and they figured it out, well-oiled machine? Yes, yes. At scale, not as much, uh, but Mm -hmm. definitely there there are amazing pockets of goodness. If I think about the things that are happening within the Air Force, if I think about things that are happening within the Navy in specific, some things with Space Force, there are some fantastic loops that are going on. Um, it depends on what the type of software is. It depends on the on the on what has to be done for fielding of it ahead of time. There are policies and procedures that are in place that would say, I can't take that code that Tracy wrote, that she committed, that it was unit tested, that it automatically went through all of those things that we think of as a DevOps pipeline. It actually has to go through um, an operational fielding exercise before it could actually go into a, a war uh, a war protection uh, type scenario. So there's a, can think of it like when people talk about the, the sequence um, and getting to pre-production, a lot of things happen in a beautiful figure eight up to this pre-production. And mm-hmm. then there's one additional step, which is live, live in the field. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost as though you have the figure eight and then another little punctuation off to the side. Steve, is that your experience too? I, yeah, I think so. And I think you differentiate when we think of warfighter, right? We always, we always go right away to the weapon system, right? To the plane or the tank. And, and we, we know those, those software engines are, are a little bit different than mm-hmm. all of the other business systems are still out there. So the vast majority of software, right, that's being developed for them is still through the software factories is really more about the business logistics of doing everything else, not necessarily command and control that the missile flies straight. That's being done at a, very discreet kind of lab oriented, but but everything else, which I I do I do think, at least 
it looks on the surface anyway with all of these software factories that the government is trying to to move faster in the in that you know embrace the CITD pipeline, do more things in the cloud. So yeah, I'm encouraged by it. Still trying to there there's still a little bit of a disconnect between the CITD pipeline and then the ATO process, right? There's still this, oh, absolutely. there's still this there's always this big there's this big cloud around the the ATO process, which does put a monkey wrench into things because every time you change any aspect, it, did we could we have broken something that could cause a security vulnerability? How do we how do we right. get around that? Not around that, but how do we make that faster? Well, that that gets to be part of there's there's some there's so much goodness that's happening now to focus on CATO right continuous ATO the authorization to operate. Um, it's a good debate on how real. Uh, that CATO is, right? You ATO a process as well as a platform that's underneath it. And then the thing that you need to look at and audit and be super focused on is what's moving across the top of it, the delta and the change. But that means that you have to, your pipeline needs to have a tremendous amount of auditability, right? Instantaneous auditability throughout that process. Um, the RMF process in and of itself is a, is a good and strong framework. What's difficult is helping the cyber professionals become part of the earlier parts of the, the design. I did a Navy project, I guess this was about two and a half years ago. Uh, and I really, really learned so much about the RMF process during that. So Sorry, thought, RMF? RMF, it's a risk management framework. It is, uh, it is a way that you assess and evaluate a project or a, a system or a product before it goes to production. And normally the feed into RMF is that you have all of the designs complete, all of the boundaries, all of the information flows, everything complete, complete. And I had thought I had a brilliant idea that I said, okay, guys, I've been hanging out doing DevOps things, not for the purpose of doing DevOps, but I've been leveraging those capabilities for many years to take systems into production. I have horizontal teams. I have. I want transparency for anybody who's involved in this. Hey, you RMF guys. Hey, those folks who are going to work on our ATO. Come on back here, and you guys can get access at the end of every one of our cycles. So we had them involved at the end of every sprint. They were three-week sprints. And I found that they had a heck of a time, a heck of a time looking at anything that wasn't complete. So we wanted them to take a look and be um, better educated as we went. And we wanted them to inform us. And that was a heavy lift. That was a very heavy lift. And not because people were not intelligent and smart and able to do that, but your muscle memory is I get a complete document and I evaluate and audit the complete document, not that I'm weighing in earlier. So as we're going forward in doing that, I'm working to bring people into the conversation earlier, but set different expectations for how they can help for how they can educate our teams so that we're building to a higher, you know, to a higher standard. Our developers, God love them all, they are still security hobbyists and not because they're not amazing, but because that's not their first focus, right? Their right. focus is I need to develop quickly. And mm -hmm. then they're told, oh, by the way, make this secure. But we're not always giving them the tools that they need to be those experts as secure developers. Uh, and I think that's going to be another place where we have to spend a lot of time in the next probably 18 to 24 months is helping the developers be smarter about feeding into that. We can't, you can't rely on the pipeline to make sure something's safe. And we sure as heck don't want to wait until everything is done 
and hand it all over as though we're back in, you know, 2000 or back in 1995 and waiting to hand it over for cyber to take a look at it just before go live. So sharing these ideas that you're talking about right now, just best practices, things that you've seen work in the field. Is that something that you do? I know you have um, a government event coming up. It's straight Mm -hmm. talk. Is that associated with your DevOps Institute? Am I? It is. Okay. So tell me more about that because as I'm listening to you talk about change of command and how that can be set back and different policies and everything, I'm thinking we need a think tank mm-hmm. to like some continuity yeah. of putting these best practices together. So there's some, there are so many amazing um, government work groups. Mm-hmm. There are phenomenal groups out there. There are a number of industry groups Um the goal was for me was to continue to have straight talk with my clients, with my sponsors. And I began to realize that the exemplars that were being put forth to the government were not, were more commercial oftentimes in nature. It wasn't because industry doesn't have a passion to help. It's because I don't always have enough of the information to understand there are ways that commercial and government are the same. And there are ways that they're not, and it's okay that they're not. And so by celebrating the differences, by celebrating the diversity in those ecosystems, bringing academia together with industry, with um, the government, is where we can have those straight talk sessions. So I've started um, working with MITRE with the DevOps Institute and another group called Media Ops. Um, Our first kickoff will be the straight talk session in September, which is filled with um, government and industry, academia, FFRDCs, that's why I work with MITRE, um, all of us coming together to talk about setting level setting and growing more, just more conversations. It's all about the experiences. I can send you to a link that'll tell you all about a technology and you can go and learn about that technology. But until I sit down with you and say, I tried it in this environment, here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Industry can then step up and say, oh, we can make this pivot. We can help you in this way. Imagine just having this ongoing constant conversation with easy availability, right? Not always having to be a big curated webinars, but imagine if we have lots of organic opportunities to build network and have these conversations. That's what I'm really passionate about is taking my experiences and parsing them out, right? Teasing out what Steve has done, right? Talking to um, a Brian Finster. He came from Walmart. He's now with the Air Force, right? What, is, what does that look like? Uh, talking to Christina Rylander, who was a government employee who's now working with an FFRDC, right? talking with these folks and saying, let's tease it out. Let, let's get it out in the open because then we can address it. So, so this yes, is your first, you. this is the debut Mm-hmm. conference, the one yes. coming up in September. Nice. It is. Okay. It is. It is. So, so thank will, you for mentioning that. Well, of course, I mean, I just think I'm with you, Tracy, like these conversations are so important. And so we will put the link to the event and is everyone invited? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's open registration. You bet. Okay. Awesome. So we're going to go to um, our final tech talk questions. Okay. Just some quick rapid fire questions for you that are just fun. So first question is, um, what do you think the next big leap in tech will be? Well, let me just put it that way. What's the next big leap? Uh, um, 
on a more academic level, it's quantum. Um, mm. What we are going to see though, and what we're going to experience firsthand that we need to make sure that we have our fingers on the pulse of is AI. Uh, it is everywhere and it's a part of everything at every, whether it is for the end user. Uh, and I'm, uh, for example, with um, the warfighters, with the Navy, um, can I look at their human resources and can I start to predict when somebody's at risk, right? There are some amazing analytics and AI that are coming out around uh, detecting if somebody's at risk of suicide or, or something else. That's amazing and wonderful. I can also think about how it impacts my husband, <laughs> the operations guy, because I can start to better predict um, the quality of what's happening in production, right? I can Interesting. better. You're using it to make your job and oh, you your, your fellow employee's <laughs> job better and, and faster and easier. I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's some really cool stuff on the horizon that you're going to see with leveraging AI to actually generate code as well. Um, and that's a research area. There's work being done there, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where people are, are a little worried about it, but I would say that it's, I was going just going to ask you, does that scare you job um, security? Uh, no, no, not at all. Because at the end of the day, my job is to, is to solve a problem, is to solve a business problem using technology. So whether I hand code it from the ground up or whether I've had a team that's trained the algorithms to pull it together, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's about getting to a solution that brings value. That's yeah, what you're about. you're always going to be the brain in the box. Always. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let me ask you, what are what are you watching, listening to, reading that inspires you these days when it comes to technology? Oh, I've actually been taking a, a step back and going back through some of the books that I've read in the past. One of the ones that I've, I've touched base on again is going back to, um, it's called Project to Product. Um, and I think it was by, actually, I probably have it on my desktop. It is by Mick um, Kirsten. He's actually the um, CEO for TaskTop. And it has to do with, an, instead of focusing on what we call the Dora metrics, instead of focusing on DevOps, let's focus on flow, the flow of value through the system. So that's been uh, very, um, very inspirational to me, going back to that and, and, and double checking on it. Um, from a technology perspective, actual hands-on tech, it's staying on top of where we're going with um, serverless. Uh, and what the different vendors are doing with that, with serverless versus the containerization f- efforts. So, yeah, see, there's I- that whole serverless thing. That's a that's an episode in itself. Because just to your point, mm-hmm. Tracy, you can give me stuff to read. I've read about serverless. I until you and I have a conversation, and maybe it will be three or four conversations. It's not. I'm not really going to get it. <laughs> so, well, just think of it this way: serverless is not serverless. It just means it's not, you You don't realize what server it's on. It's all hidden from you. That's oh, all you got to okay. worry about. See, mm-hmm. I just needed that. All right. There you go. So there how does that, so what about the, what about the push the containers though? I know we were getting a little, a little bit off track there, but <laughs> the, is that, is that the panacea to everything we're, we're talking about for, for both DevOps and continuous ATO and moving, moving, you know, whatever, moving faster Do containers really change the game that much from, from traditional? Um, they can, but keep in mind that all software is not deployed through containers, and nor will it ever be, and that's okay. Does it help? You bet, because I can. You remember DLL hell years and years ago? I would push out a, a DLL. I would push out a, a, a piece, an atomic piece of an application, 
and there was a registry uh, on you on every computer that had every DLL registered to it. And I would push one out and it would conflict with one that was there and you would break so many other things. And there was a, you know, that attempt to, to fix that. Uh, virtual machines are so big, actual VMs are so big and so heavy, I still have a lot of shared process. So the idea of having containers, the idea of being able to put smaller, more discrete things, having it manageable, and making sure that everything, no matter what, is coming from source code, I can build my container. I can put an inject into it whatever I want to go into it from that code and make it very small and atomic. So it, it is it is a game changer. Um, but not all software is delivered with containers. And, the, and, so, and that gets into a whole nother conversation about what software isn't delivered in containers. And that's another day. <laughs> so it is a game. It is definitely a game changer, but it's just not everywhere for everything. It, it, it's like any technology. What's the problem? Let's solve the problem. Well, I, but I need to talk about the problem first. It's a problem or a risk or a goal or a vision. Define the vision to find what you need to do, right? Push by circumstance or pulled by a dream. We're either fixing something or we're moving forward, but either way, then come at it with the technology. It should never be tech first. And it always pains me to say that as a technologist, but it's, it's not tech first. Yeah. All right. Do you have a favorite app or a gadget? A favorite app or gadget? Um, well, I guess the boring app would be uh, my BBC newsreader. <laughs> okay. That's my that's my my boring app. No judgment. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> I I'm always I re, I wake up at the night during the night and I read my news and Flipbook would be the other one. Um, no, I try to disconnect from technology. I have way too many Alexa units through my house. My house, everything is is connected within my house. Um, all of my family, wherever they are, have video units um, configured so that I can drop in on them, especially with uh, the older folks. Um, no, it's it's wonderful. It means they didn't have to learn how to FaceTime and they didn't yeah. have to figure out how to Skype. I could just so th- I would. I guess I would have to say that uh, those personal Simpsons are probably my favorite. Gadget. I, I tried the Google brand. This is not an endorsement. And I tried the uh, the uh, Amazon, and I just found it was a richer landscape. Although I liked some of the some of the capabilities of Google better, just better availability of the Amazon products. So, right. but not an endorsement. That's on a personal level. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you could wave your technology magic wand, what is the technology you would wave into existence right now, or or change? There's so much that's changing so rapidly. I, I don't know what I would change aside from more of the less of the technology and more of the culture, mm. helping people to uh, fail fast, fail small, learn mm-hmm. fast. I think um, I'm more thinking that it's the helping people to innovate quickly, more important than necessarily waving a wand over any particular tech. Well, in the culture, I mean, that's what you're doing with your uh, DevOps Institute, right? So you're that's doing it. Oh my Hoping gosh, to. you've got your pink hair and your magic <laughs> wand and it's already in process. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? Um, my, my, the thing that helps me to sleep at night, honest and for true, is when I can say, yeah, I made a difference today. I connected these people. I helped somebody have a realization. I moved the ball forward. Those are the things that, that help me to sleep at night. So. Thank you. Thanks for You're joining welcome. us today. 
I'm glad. And we, you didn't even have to mute Steve. You just kept asking me questions. I know. I, I feel just kept bad answering. now. I feel like I like stifled mass. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's okay. It was, it was a good, it was a great conversation and uh, you yeah. two were on a roll. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I, I love this. I love the connection. Thank you so much for your insights. Um, like I said, we'll put the straight talk event in the show notes To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And please smash that like button and share this episode. And we will be back next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.